Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 133 of the North American Outdoors Podcast. My name is Heidi Rayo, and I'm coming to you from the great state of Texas. Firearm training is about as serious as business gets. If you are an instructor, a trainer, or just passing on some basic safe firearm handling to others, it's incumbent on you to run a safe class. There are four dangerous pitfalls to avoid while training others with firearms. Whether you're teaching with a rifle, a shotgun, or a pistol, it's important to do your best to avoid accidents that can be avoided before ever starting a class. It's the instructor who is ultimately responsible if anything happens on your watch. This includes any firearms training course being taught, whether it's an NRA firearm training course or whether it's your own type of class that you're offering your skills and knowledge. The level of the instructor's liability is dependent upon several factors. This can particularly be an issue with students who are in their 20s and 30s, as this demographic grew up in a world of striker-fired pistols and modern sporting rifles. I try to make it very clear to students who wish to seek additional training that this is not all about Glocks or it's not all about ARs. I let this age group know that they need to become familiar with all types of firearms, if not for any other reason, but for safety. There are more handguns out there than just Glocks. I love to introduce a brand new pistol shooter to different types of firearms, including revolvers, single action and double action, because most young people have never even shot or even held a revolver. Very similar setting with AR type rifles. Most young people have never operated a bolt action rifle or even a lever action rifle. So if you have the ability to introduce several different types of firearm actions to new shooters and those who are seeking additional information. But there are some things to take into consideration if you have students who come to you or others who come to you that want to learn more about firearms. Be aware of all of the antique firearms that are out there. Antique firearms in a firearm course can create a potential hazard. 
remember to never shoot modern smokeless powder out of an antique firearm made for black powder. I'm not talking about muzzle-loading firearms. I am talking about old firearms designed to shoot cartridges or shells filled with black powder, not the modern smokeless powder. Manufacturers of firearms that shot black powder cartridges and shells phased out these guns by the early 1930s. Cartridge and shell manufacturers continued making black powder ammunition up until 1940. Modern smokeless cartridges and shells produce higher pressures than cartridges made from black powder cartridges and shells. Shooting modern smokeless powder cartridges or shells out of firearms that are manufactured for black powder could create a condition that could lead to serious bodily injury or even death. The pressure created by modern smokeless cartridges or shells could cause a catastrophic fail of equipment, or in layman's terms, the gun could blow up. Therefore, it's extremely important for firearm trainers to educate themselves on all types of firearms from different eras. I had a situation in one of my classes where I was conducting and an individual showed up with an obsolete firearm. He brought a 41 Colt. He had 41 Magnum ammunition. Had I not been familiar with antique revolvers or prepared for a situation like this, our day could have taken a turn for the worse. Another possible scenario that you can find yourself in are dealing with sporterized rifles. A sporterized rifle is somewhat of a forgotten firearm. The end of World War II had an unexpected benefit to hunters in the United States and Europe. Millions of surplus firearms flooded the firearm market. These firearms provided sportsmen and women with some of the best rifles for hunting. To make these newly acquired and affordable firearms first-class hunting rifles, they were sporterized. Up until the 1990s, credit was not as easy to get by consumers as it is today. The average hunter could not afford a new Winchester or Remington rifle. It was these surplus rifles that filled the void. Some of these rifles could be purchased for as little as $10 or even $15. With a little woodworking and replacing the military sites with sporting sites, the average hunter had a rifle that was just as good, or even better in some cases, as the high-dollar name-brand guns. It is still relatively easy to find ammunition for these firearms. Military firearms up until the 1950s had barrels that were completely surrounded by wood. The wood stocks would extend to almost the muzzle of the barrel. If you are not familiar with these old firearms, you might think that the barrel of the gun passed through a solid block of wood that had a hole drilled through the middle. In reality, the forend was a two-piece stock held together by barrel bands. The bottom piece extended to close to the end of the barrel at the muzzle. This was done to protect and to strengthen the barrel from the rough conditions on the battlefield. The top piece was to serve as a handguard. The continuous and rapid fire laid down by soldiers would make the barrel extremely hot. This top handguard was used to protect the soldier from first, second, and sometimes third degree burns. 
The sighting system was another unique feature of these older military firearms. There were basically three different types of rear sights on the older military rifles. The U.S. rifles usually had an L-shaped peep sight. The European firearms had a sighting range ramp, and Asian guns had ladder-style rear sights. Though these rear sights were very accurate, and in some cases accurate past 500 yards, these sights were not favored by hunters. After these firearms were sold as surplus, hunters gobbled them up. They soon discovered that these firearms were excellent large game rifles. The calibers that were developed by the world's great military powers were designed to stop enemy combatants. These calibers were more than adequate to stop large game animals. Many of these rifles were sporterized. Usually, the top handguard was removed first since hunters did not have to worry about burning their hands because they did not shoot many rounds when hunting. Next, the forend was cut down, exposing the rifle barrel. Only enough forend was left to help support the firearm when shooting the rifle. This was done to decrease the weight of the firearm. Lastly, the military sights were replaced with sporting sights or a scope was mounted to the top of the receiver. The three most popular military rifles that were sporterized were the British Lee Enfield, the M1903 Springfield, and the Mauser K98 rifle. The Lee Enfield was a bolt-action rifle that was developed by the Royal Small Arms Factory and used by the British Empire and the Commonwealth from 1895 to 1957. This rifle was chambered for the popular British 303 cartridge. This rifle is effective and is still used by combatants around the world. The British 303 cartridge was also referred to as a 77 by 56 millimeter rimmed cartridge. The cartridge had a 174 grain bullet that had a muzzle velocity of 2,440 feet per second. This projectile had an impressive 2,667 foot-pounds of energy. This is more than an adequate for any medium-to-large-sized game animal. The M1903 Springfield was a bolt-action rifle that was developed by Springfield Armory and used by the United States military from 1903 to 1936. The rifle was so well-made and accurate that it was used by American snipers up until 1975. The rifle was chambered for the very popular .30-06 cartridge. The .30-06 cartridge is still one of the most popular rounds for large game hunting. This round is so popular among hunters that just about every firearm manufacturer that makes hunting rifles offer their firearms chambered for this caliber. The 30-06 Springfield cartridge fired a 150-grain bullet at 2,700 feet per second. This projectile has greater than 2,800 foot-pounds of energy at the muzzle. The popularity of the 30-06 Springfield among hunters is a testimony of its reputation as a hunting cartridge. The Mauser K98 was a bolt-action rifle that was developed by the Mauser Company and used by the German military from 1935 to 1945. These firearms were used by many countries around the world, especially in Europe and South America. 
the rifle was chambered for the 8mm Mauser, also referred to as a 7.92x57 Mauser. This cartridge was a very popular military cartridge that was just as effective in the hunting of large game animals. The 8mm Mauser cartridge fired a heavy-hitting 198-grain bullet at 2,600 feet per second. It had a thumping 3,000 foot-pounds of energy at the muzzle. The Mauser K98, with its 8mm Mauser round, is considered one of the most underrated big-game cartridges ever made. Many hunters have taken the Big Five in Africa with this cartridge. The Big Five are the Lion, Leopard, Rhino, Elephant, and African Buffalo. These were not the only surplus military rifles to be converted into sporting arms. Surprisingly, the Japanese Type 99 rifle never became popular among hunters. The Type 99 was chambered for the 7.7x58mm Japanese cartridge, and the rifle had one of the strongest actions ever made. Many military firearms collectors cringe when they see an old firearm that has been sporterized, but there is just something special about shooting a powerful rifle that was used in World War I, World War II, or both. I've shot many of these old military rifles that have been sporterized. The most impressive one I have ever seen was owned by a native Texan now living in Wyoming. He had a U.S. 3040 Craig made in the late 1890s on which the receiver, barrel, and other metal parts were a shiny nickel with modern sights. Love it or hate it, this is one of those rifles that you will never forget. These sporterized rifles were common in the 1970s and 1980s, then seemed to have been put in the back end of closets and gun safes, replaced with modern rifles. Sporterized rifles seem to be on the rebound, however. Firearm instructors and trainers need to be aware of the problems that could arise. For starters, many military rifles did not have a data stamp depicting the caliber of the firearm stamped on the barrel. There are many individuals who have used the wrong ammunition in old military and sporterized firearms, sometimes with disastrous results. To make sporterized rifles even more risky, many have been rebored to accept a different caliber altogether. I do not allow sporterized rifles in any of the classes or training sessions that I offer for two reasons. The first is that many old military rifles have been abused and handled roughly. I do not want to take a chance on one of these rifles having a catastrophic failure in my class or my training session. Second, Without a verification from a qualified gunsmith, there may be no way of telling exactly what caliber a sporterized rifle is chambered for. I always err on the side of caution. Another possible danger in your firearm classes or training sessions are choked barrels. Watch out for choked shotgun barrels that are brought into your class. Choked shotgun barrels are barrels that have the choke already built into the end of the barrel. By the late 1980s, choked barrels were replaced with modern shotgun barrels that have screw-in chokes. Prior to 1990, a shotgunner may have three different barrels to go with the action of their shotgun. 
These barrels would be marked IMP for improved, IC for improved cylinder, MOD or M for modified, full or F for full. Now, shotgunners have one barrel and three screw-in chokes. Choked barrels prior to 1990 are still pretty common. The rule of thumb is that you should never shoot non-toxic or steel shot out of a choked barrel. Non-toxic shot does not compress like lead, so it can blow the end of a choked barrel. If you are conducting a class or a training session at a range that allows only non-toxic shot, then you should not allow choked barrels in your class. If the range you use allows lead shot, you as the instructor or the trainer need to ensure that the shooter does not have any steel shot fixing to put through that shotgun. There is another rule that you need to follow when it comes to choked barrels. If the range does not allow lead shot and your student has a full choked shotgun barrel, once again, do not allow them to use it in your class. The metals prior to 1990 were not as strong as modern metals are in shotgun barrels, and as a result, the end of your barrel could split. I am a little bit stricter in my classes than many, but I just do not want any mishaps or accidents to happen on my watch. Another safety consideration is loose ammunition. Loose ammo should never be allowed to be used in your firearms training classes or sessions. All ammunition that is allowed on your range and in your training should be in its original packaging. The original packaging should have all the ballistics data you need to determine the ammunition is safe to shoot. This data includes muzzle velocity, grains of powder, and bullet weight. Most commercial ammunition is SAMI approved. SAMI stands for Sporting Arms and Ammunition Manufacturers Institute. SAMI sets the recommended ballistics that is safe for each specific caliber. It would be a good policy to adopt for your class that all ammunition must be in its original packaging and must be SAMI approved. Just remember that not all commercial ammunition is SAMI approved. Loose ammunition might also be handloads or reloads. Reloaded ammunition might be loaded too hot with too much propellant or even too light with too little. Both conditions can cause a serious issue. Ammunition that is loaded too hot could cause catastrophic failure of the firearm, which could lead to the gun coming apart under great pressure. Ammunition reloaded too light could cause squib loads that lodge inside the barrel because there's less than pressure to get the round out the muzzle. If a round is lodged in the barrel and another round is fired behind it, it could also lead to a catastrophic failure of the firearm coming apart under great pressure. Both conditions could lead to bodily injury or death. Other ammunition issues include soft-nosed and solid ammunition. Many individuals do not understand the performance of these types of bullets. Soft-nosed ammunition expands quickly and solids have deep penetration. This is important to know depending on the type of backstop at the range and the rules of the facility. 
Many facilities prohibit the use of solids, so it is up to the instructor or the trainer to know the difference. Another factor is shotgun ammunition and whether the shells have steel shot or lead shot. The only way to guarantee what type of shot you have in your shells is marked on the original box. Some ranges only allow lead shot, while other ranges only allow steel shot. If you have a bag or a bucket of loose shotgun shells, there is no way to determine if what is inside is lead or steel. Always important to keep ammunition in the original factory box. I never allow loose ammunition in any of my classes or my training sessions, and I make it very clear in my emails and communications prior to the class so that the students can make any adjustments. Still, I have students show with loose ammunition in range bags and even Ziploc storage bags. I do not make exception because safety is always paramount. These students must go to the store at the range where I teach and purchase the proper ammunition to be used for our training. As instructors and firearm trainers, it is incumbent upon us to practice what we preach and not let familiarity breed contempt when it comes to safety. Lead by example, follow these rules, and your students will thank you. There is no better classroom than the outdoors, roaming the woods and waters, and creating memories that will last a lifetime. This is Heidi Rayo, and you have heard another North American Outdoors podcast. For more information, visit NorthAmericanOutdoors.org and follow me on Instagram at North American Outdoors. Have a great day. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.